Psalm 13:6. I will sing to the Lord, because He has dealt bountifully with me. When God comes calling, they fight, right? Yes.、Mm-hmm. When God comes calling, they fight. Page page forty five. We invited the Gregory to visit us in Richmond, and they brought with them colorful slides of new. Guinea, Guinea, Guinea. What's that? New Guinea is a place. Oh. Peggy and I were fascinated as slide after slide, seared our hearts. What does it mean? Sear our hearts. Hello. Hi. What does it mean? Seared our hearts. Oh, seared our hearts. So it means like it it um to sear something is kind of to burn. So burned our hearts kind of. So it really um. I guess, really moved them. Oh, okay. Don told us about the tribe they hoped to reach with the gospel, the unsmelt, or true people, as the name translates, numbered about fifty thousand and were scattered across the swampy marshes and the mangrove thickets of the south coast of New. Guinea. Guinea. Guinea, living a stone age existence, the Asmat were cannibals, who slept each night with their heads resting on the skulls of their dead relatives. Newspapers were filled with reports of Michael Rockefeller. Sons of Nelson Rockefeller, who had recently disappeared, while collecting primitively, primitive art from the Asmat tribe. Primitive art. What does that mean? Primitive art. Very simple art. Okay. This was a people and a culture that was saturated with the darkness that we knew nothing about. The outside world had no clue the tribe even existence. Let alone cared for their plight, yet Don spoke with the. Compassion for the desperate physical and spiritual condition of a people who had never once heard the gospel. The image of these people of the jungle seemed to cry out to me. 
stung, then paused and asked a question that burned in my heart. What is the cost for people like this to be reached? The projector clicked, advancing to the next slide. There, on our living room wall, was a picture of two bodies being carried out of the jungle. Dan told us how Miss Missionaries Walter Erickson and Edward Pride had gone on a survey patrol into the interior of New Guinea's northern region. For seventeen days, they pushed further and further into the jungle. Hoping to make friendly contact with some new tribes, accompanying them were five local men who grew increasingly fearful of a hostile encounter with the Asmet. The men begged the missionaries to turn back. Frustrated and in desperation, they took matters into their own hands. Early one morning, while Erickson and、uh, Trade were still asleep, the local man cut the ropes of the missionaries' hammocks and beat them to death with match. Machetes and、um, what? Machetes. Machetes and wooden clubs. What's that? Uh, it's a kind of kind of blade. It's it kind of like a small um axe. Oh my gosh, Martyr Martyr John was the price these missionaries paid so that. A tribe could hear the gospel for the first time. Don told us, "I was stunned. The tragic death of Eurycons、uh, and the threat took place in September nineteen fifty-two, just as I was finishing my training to go to Korea. All three of us were young single Americans who had."、Uh, Willing taking risk for a cause greater than ourselves, I went to Korea to answer the call of my country. Erickson, Erickson, and Trett went to New Guinea to answer the call of their Lord. Dan then paused and asked a question about burning my heart. What is the cost for people like this to be reached? For the first time, I realized that missions is war, and sharing the gospel is something worth dying for. Peggy and I began contributing to the Gregory's financial support, so that they could take the good news of Jesus Christ. To the Asmat tribe, we had been looking for a missionary to adopt 
and support, and was thrilled to finally do so. We also knew, however, that the Lord was calling us to something more. In the weeks that followed, we talked about little else than the possibility of going to the mission field ourselves. The appeal of a mobile's black god was replaced by an urgency to reach our needy world for Christ. My territory, I realized, was not just a virgin, it was the world. Virginia, it was the world. The thought of engaging in a mission to rescue the spiritually lost from a fierce, unseen enemy was as compelling to me as our clandestine troop movements had been in Korea just a few years before. What does that mean, clandestine troop movement? Uh, secret what? Secret or spy. Oh, spy. Troop. Because they were kind of spies, right? They were kind of secret, very, um, yeah, very sneaky. Okay. Had been in Korea just a few years before. In the Marine Corps, I had been trained to give my life, if need be, for my country. Now I was ready to give my life for my Lord and for his kingdom. Peggy shared my sense of urgency. We knew there was no higher calling and we dreamed of being pioneers for the Lord among some needy people of the world, people like the Asmet who had never heard the gospel. I sent exploratory letters to several mission boards, sharing our desire to serve on the foreign mission field. It wasn't long before the response arrived. They all seemed to say the same thing. Yes, we want you, but no, we, you don't meet our qualifications. One large mission to Africa sent a letter asking us, Do you have any specialized Bible training, such as you might get in a Bible institute or a Bible college? Or did you attend a Christian college where you might have had certain Bible courses? We expect each of our applicants to be trained in the Bible. The general director of another mission wrote, when someone writes to say he is exploring the era of service for the Lord in the region beyond, I look for the items presented that may be considered as burdles. What does that mean, burdles? Obstacles. Okay. 
We scan carefully one's qualifications and one's lack of qualifications. Your case, as we have discussed in at headquarters and have prayed about it, seems to be one that does have some burdens. We accept no one unless he has had adequate preparation in systematic Bible study. I fail to find this in your case. Hurdles. Having run track in high school, I understood the metaphor well. A hurdle is a barrier in the middle of a race track that a runner has to leap over during a race. Each letter seemed to mention another hurdle. I wasn't qualified. I was too old. Peggy and I had too many children. Added together, this seems insurmountable. What does that mean, insurmountable? Oh my gosh. The only positive response were invitations to apply for administrative job admission headquarters in the US. That wasn't what Peggy and I wanted to do. We longed to go overseas to be personally involved in reaching the unreached. From my experience in the Marine Corps and with mobile, I fully understood the need for a mission organization to maintain high standards and to make sure their members were prepared for the field. Yes, I wonder how things might have been different if only someone would have encouraged us in a personal way. or recognized the fact that while I didn't have formal Bible training, what I did know about the scriptures had changed my life. I wondered if my life was to become nothing more than the sum total of my sales fingers, sales figures, but I refused to be discouraged. Wow. Someone once said, nothing is really over until the moment you stop trying. Hear it? Fuji? Sorry, for some reason I can't hear everything that you say. What did you say? I say, I just finished reading the sentence. Someone once said, nothing is really over until the moment you stop trying. Yeah, I feel like it's very encouraging. Yeah, definitely. And he say, I refuse to be discouraged. I refuse to be discouraged. That seemed to apply not just to my self-work, self-work, but also to our dream of becoming missionaries. I didn't want to give up. 
Yes. Since all the mission boards said we need Bible college training, that's where we would start. If I wanted to be a missionary, it made sense to be grounded in the world so that I really knew the Bible well. Peggy and I applied to Columbia Bible College in South Carolina. Wow. Then we got the news that Peggy was pregnant with our fourth child. Very exciting, but also very confusing to us. What was God saying? Wouldn't another child make it even harder for us to get to the field? Now that our other children were a little older, Peggy and I had both hoped to take classes. While I found a part-time job, with the prospect of four little ones to care for. However, the door to Bible college and the mission field seemed to be closing again. Six weeks later, Peggy miscarried, and we suffered the loss of our precious baby. We were saddened, and any peace we had felt about going to Bible college Evaporated. 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 Maybe God was holding us back from the mission field because I wasn't spiritual enough. Did He want me to work in the business area for the rest of my life? We didn't have a clue that what God was saying. All we knew was that. The burden to reach the world with the gospel wasn't fading. If we couldn't go to the field ourselves, we would get involved with as many missionaries as we could, supporting them, praying for them, and hosting them in our homes. It wasn't hard to find quality missionaries to support. Emmanuel Baptist had a mission family, four of them. Among them was a couple our age that especially impressed us, Tom and Betsy Smock. Tom was the guest speaker at church on Sunday, one Sunday, and when he walked up to the pulpit and turned toward us, what is pulpit? that his face was horribly scared. Scarred. Scarred. Oh my gosh, what happened? What are you looking at? Tom and asked someone in the front row. He sounded completely serious, then told the audience, some of you don't look so good yourself. We didn't have a clue what God was saying, all we knew was that the burden to reach the world with the gospel wasn't fading. A big grin broke out across his scared face. Scarred face. 
putting us all at ease as a wave of laughter swept through the sanctuary. Tom preached that morning about hell. He said that he knew what hell was like because he had recently experienced scorching flames. When he was in the Air Force, he took what was supposed to be a routine flight over Little Rock, Arkansas, but something went wrong. In a split second, fifty tons of liquid jet fuel ripped apart his B forty seven jet bomber. The other men in the flight crew were instantly killed. And Tom was blown out of the cockpit. His body was on fire, unconscious and falling. He had no chance to of survive, of survival. When suddenly his parachute. Parachute. What does that mean? Parachute. It's. It's like when you're jumping from a very high distance. Um. Or. And then there's like a, it's a kind of thing that keeps you, makes you fall more slowly. Oh, okay. His parachute mysteriously deployed. It was full of hole. However, and Tom continued plum, plummeting to earth. Plummeting. What does that mean? Plummeting means falling. Okay. A woman on the ground heard the explosion and spotted the fireball, flaming wreckage, and falling parachute. She pleaded for God to save who whomever it was, and suddenly Tom started descending right into her yard. His tattered parachute. Draped itself over two large trees. As Tom's body split between them for a perfect landing on a concrete driveway, Tom endured numerous surgeries to reconstruct his face and hands, which suffered third-degree burns. His sunglasses and had protected his eyes. Making it possible for him to continue his career in aviation, eventually he was discharged from the air force, but was able to become a missionary pilot and fly in God Air Force. Oh my gosh! Wow. He and Beth, uh, Bethsy joined the, um, uh, Willie, Willie Bible. A Wycliffe, Wycliffe Bible translator, a mission dedicated to translating God's God's word into the language of indigenous 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 people around the world. I know my friend, one of my friend, she is a missionary for Wycliffe Bible translator. Oh wow. Yeah, they were raising support to go to Colombia, South America, where Tom would fly missionaries and supplies in and out.
of the jungle. By now, God had blessed Peggy and me with four children: Kenny, John, Arlene, and our youngest daughter Carol, who was born on March twenty ninth, nineteen sixty three. After seven years with the mobile, a restlessness began to stir within me to pursue other opportunities. In December nineteen sixty three, I was hired by Dow Jones and the company, the parent company of the Wall Street Journal, and accepted into their management training program in the New York City. Once my training was complete, I was point appointed as district manager of the Wall Street Journal in Washington, D.C. The Saturday before I started work, my brother Harry and I left our gospel track on every desk in the newsroom. What's that gospel track? I'm not sure. What is track? I'm not really sure. Okay, on Monday morning, my first day at work, there was a memo on my desk with a copy of the track that I had left. Mister Fletcher, the memo said. The memo read, "The news department does not appreciate this literature." The Lord blessed my efforts at the journal, and after a few years, I was offered the position of district manager at the company's office in downtown New York. Peggy was getting pretty good at packing by this time, so once again we put everything into boxes and moved north. My office was near Wall Street. Close to the New York Stock Exchange, I loved working for Don Jones, one of the most prestigious corporations in America. Each morning, I review. I traveled to work by ferry from New Jersey across New York Harbor, passing the majestic Statue of Liberty. What a reminder of my country's role as a place of refuge and hope for those who together built a mighty nation. In the midst of a world of the stock, stock and the bonds, my ambition for world evangelism never faded. But as the year went by. I was beginning to think that the dream was going to be fulfilled through our children. By now, they were all dedicated to Lord Jesus and standing strong as a testimony among their friends. Their interest in missions didn't happen by accident. It was something Peggy and I deliberately nurtured in them. In fact, we prayed that God would call each of them. To the mission field, because we felt that missions was the highest calling that anyone could have in life. Table talks, causal conversations, and prayer times for far off lands. 
were a natural part of the children's life. Our refrigerator doors was covered with prayer cards and pictures of missionaries we knew around the world. We read books about missionaries and as often as we could. We opened our home and hearts to missionaries, those who were home on foreign and those heading overseas for the first time. We always took special care throughout the red carpet because we want to honor them. What does that mean? Well, the red carpet means like give them special treatment. Okay. What is red carpet? Red carpet is like um, like movie stars walk the red carpet, so treat them like movie stars. Oh, okay. Movie star wear red carpet. But they walk the red carpet. Oh, right. I know. Hong yeah. Red yeah. carpet. Oh, we always took special care to rule out the red carpet because we want to honor them. I get it. Yeah, nice. Peggy and I knew that if our children were part of the process of hosting missionaries and spending their own money for missions, it would give them spiritual ownership over the projects they funded, involving not only their wallets, but their hearts as well. We set aside a big jar where our children deposit, deposit, deposited. How to read it? Deposited. Deposited, deposited some of their mission money. As a group, they would dedicate home to bless with the funds. For example, when one of our missionaries of to Africa, Fran White, had to flee the Congo in 1964 because of uh, unrest, she left all her possessions behind, including her Bible. Our children dedicated to spend some of their job money to purchase a new Bible for Fran. When we saw her 20 years later, she still had that Bible. Oh my gosh, so treasurable memory. Yeah, it's really cute. Um, you know, I sometimes I think like, um, eh, if I don't buy these things, I might be able to save the money for those who do the missionaries. Because for them, they really live a very basic life. And any, um, any kind of offer or money will be very treasured by them. That's true. Yeah. And for us, that's just uh, like, um, save some money, uh, and don't eat that much food. <laughs> don't eat. Don't go to the restaurant that often. Don't take that many takeout. Yeah. 
uh, or don't buy clothes, right? But for them, like, I, I believe the life, they just live a very simple and, uh, uh, 节俭怎么说? I don't know what 节俭 means. Um, yeah, just very simple. Mission. Huh? What? It means mission. Mission? Jie Shen. Yeah. Very kind of frugal life. Frugal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our children also sponsor the needy children through World Vision. We started with Wawu Kalindi, a seven year old boy from Indonesia. His father was dead, and his destitute mother placed him in an orphanage so that his basic needs would be met. What is destitute mother? Destitute means very, very poor. Okay. Yeah. Ten months later, we adopted another Indonesian children, child, a little girl named Deborah Wontania who was living in a children's home in West Java. Wawu's and Deborah's photos also found their place on our refrigerators. These Indonesian children captured the hearts of our own children and kept them beating for the nations. And another missionary who became very dear to us when our family was young, was Mary Baker, who served with the Unevangelized Fields Mission in the Congo in Africa. Mary often stayed in our home while she was in the States on foreign, short, warm, and outgoing. She worked alongside the National Church helping to plant a church in a remote village called Benalia. Our church family supported her, prayed for her, and felt like we were on the field with her. When violence broke out in 1964, following the Congo's independence, we were, of course, concerned for Mary's safety. There was no internet, email, or fax service in those days, and news was slow in coming. We learned that guns of young men who called themselves Simba, Simba meaning lion in Swahili, were terrorizing government and mission stations. Disillusioned and angry that independence had not made them wealthy, they sought to obliterate all vestiges. Vest, what? How to read that? Vestiges. Obliterate all vestiges. What does it mean? All traces. What does it mean? Like. All traces of something. 
all vestiges, all even a little bit, all mention of, all kind of presence of. Okay. Yeah. They saw to elaborate all that. What does elaborate mean? Obliterate means completely destroy. They saw to obliterate all vestiges of the West and carried out a drug crazed campaign of terror, robbing, pillaging. What does that mean? Pillaging. Pillaging basically means stealing. Okay, robbing, pillaging. Pillaging, torturing, and killing Congolese and foreigner alike. Many missionaries left their stations for safer ground, but not Mary. She chose to stay with the people whom God had sent her to serve. Eventually, escalating tensions climaxed with an order to seize all Americans, and we fear that she was among those taken hostage. What What does that mean? Uh, among those taken hostage, that she would be one of those who were taken, taken. Um, do you know what hostage means? No, kidnap. Kidnap. Yes. Okay. Day after day, we kept up with TV and newspaper reports about the hostage crisis, and we were hopeful when Belgian paratroopers descended on the airport in the city of Stanleyville. What? Did you say anything? No, I didn't say anything. Okay. Together with South African mercenaries. What does that mean, mercenaries? Mercenaries are people who kind of uh, are paid to kill. Okay. Shashou. Yeah. Mercenaries. They managed to liberate the city from the hands of the rebels and free a number of hostages. It took another three weeks for rescuers to find their way to Benalia. Some 18 miles to the north, they arrived only to find that 11 missionaries had been killed, including all beloved Mary. One report said that Rebel cut off Mary's limbs and her tongue. Ew. Gross. All the missionaries were either shot or hacked to death by machetes. How to read it? Machetes. What does that mean? All axes. Huh? Uh, X, X. Uh, oh my gosh! And their body tossed into a roomy river to be eaten by the crocodiles. 
How do you read that? Crocodiles. 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 The sad news left us numb for weeks. Machines is war. I reminded myself, and the price can be costly, too costly. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Oh my gosh, I I remember when I was in Pittsburgh, one time I attended a, a vision school. Do you know that? Vision school, no. So the people there, they are trained. And uh, taught to um what does it mean to be, um live for Jesus as a missionary, and I uh, attended it. The first lesson it was, I I folk I barely remember anything, except one thing that the the speaker say, live for Jesus, die for Jesus. And、uh, right after he said that, I feel my neck is a、uh, kind of cold. <laughs> so I was, I was really scared. And after that, I never go back to that vision school. <laughs>、oh. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah, this is pretty scary stuff. I am not ready to like. Yeah, I want to, I want to die peacefully when I'm in a dream. Yes, me too. <laughs> that's my, yeah. It's a, I I think it's a the only, ask, if I could die peacefully in a dream, I will, very happy. Yes. Which me. Which means I did not suffer from any pain, and uh, um, yeah. Which means, uh, uh, I kind of had a very, um, peaceful life. That's what how I can die peacefully in dreams, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I want that too. Yeah. 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 Or her life, but scripture commands those who did not love their lives so much as to shrink from the death. Revelation twelve, verse eleven and ninety. For some people, that might have been a deterrent. Deterrent. What does it mean? Deterrent. Something that keeps you from doing something. Okay. It's different, different, definitely. It's a de- has been a deterrent for both of us. Yes. But Mary's Mary Tron, Mary Dom. Mar- martyrdom. Martyrdom. What does that mean? So dying, like, for Christ is martyrdom. Okay. But Mary's martyrdom only strengthened my resolve that world mission was where God was calling me, and that the price to be paid was worth the cost. Maybe it was、uh, the marine in me. Maybe it was knowing that living for Christ was worth dying for. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Such a courageous man. 
Uh, I really appreciate how courageous he is. God often sends influential people across our path at pivotal crossroads in our lives. Larry was one of them. Dr. Gimbert J. MacArthur. How to read it? MacArthur. MacArthur. Uh, was another. Is that Jill? Gil, probably. Gil. Gil was exclusive ex- executive director of the South Sea Evangelical Mission in Australia and a brilliant visionary. When he visited our home in 1968, he told us about the Christian Leaders Training College in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, 400 acres acres of almost uninhabitable swampland that he and others had transformed into the premier Christian training facility in the South Pacific. Joe was the CRTCS first principal and was in, instrumental in raising the funds to keep it going. He wouldn't say it about himself, of course, but he was like a David Livingstone of the South Pacific, a pioneer who blazed the path that others followed. Peggy and I decided to sponsor a student to attend the Christian Leaders Training College, a young man named Silas Ereskali. How to read it? Um, probably just Ereskali. Ereskali. Gail encouraged me to refuse to let go of my dream to become a missionary myself. He was alone and welcome voice in the midst of many who were urging me to forget my dream and instead stick to making money to fund missions. That's what I want to do. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm too timid to go to the front line. But I I, I could pray for them and uh, support them financially. <laughs> The Lord knew that Joe Agil was the right one to break through to me, and he confronted me with one of his favorite scriptures. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Psalm 19, verse 9, King J Version. Ted, how are you writing the story of your life? Gail asked me. What is the next chapter that God might have for you? His questions startled me. How to startle? Startled, yeah. And what does that mean? Inspire? Startled. Uh, Shocked. Startled me. And in the weeks that followed, God wouldn't let me forget it. 
One May, one May morning in 1968, I was alone in our Detroit, Michigan, living room reading my Bible, and when I came to some two eight, I stopped to ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. NIV version. The words that had such terrific, terrific authority that I knew God was speaking directly to me. I wrote in my Bible next to verse eight, God's promise to me. The words, of course, were originally a promise to the Messianic King. Messianic. Messianic King Jesus. That the the domain of his kingdom would someday extend around the world and include all the nations, or literally, or literally the peoples of the earth. The missionary task, sharing the gospel and making disciples, was how God the Father would give the nation to His Son. I also took this verse as a promise to me, and I knew that. Through it, God had come calling in my life. He was giving me a promise and asking me to trust only Him, because humanly speaking, there was no mechanism for its fulfillment. Yet nothing happened. No closed doors suddenly flew open. No mission board called to offer Peggy and me a position. All I had was a promise. And that's what I clung to for eight more long years in the corporate world, until once again the Lord spoke to me from Psalm two eight. I again wrote, "God's promise to me in my Bible." By you now, let's stop now. We can finish it later or、um, next time. It's only one more page. I would、okay. like to finish them. Okay, go ahead. Okay. By now, our son John had a clear call on his life to missions, and I again wondered if the promise would be fulfilled through him and our other children, rather than through Peggy and me. Despite my own sense of spiritual inadequacy, however, I knew God had a call on my life, too. I didn't know how He was going to do it, but His voice was unmistakable. I knew it was、uh, futile to try to make something happen before it was God's timing. Futile. What does that mean? Futile means useless. Oh yeah. I knew it was futile to try to make something happen before it was God's timing. All my past attempts to serve God in full-time ministry had turned to dust, while everything I touched in the business world seemed to succeed. The Lord blessed my effort at the Wall Street Journal, and we had record sales and a top-flight management team 
and sales staff. The Lord promoted me from distributor to regional sales manager in California, and then at the age of 39, I became national sales manager for the Wall Street Journal, in charge of the sales force for the entire country. The Lord had, gave me, had gave, given me a significant job with nationwide responsibility to maintain and increase the circulation of the journal. We moved back across country from San Francisco to a nice home near Princeton, New Jersey, adjacent to Washington Crossing State Park. We had a pool and a little pond, and were close to good schools and our new congregation, Westerly Road Church. I loved the journal and the company was very good to me, yet there was one question I pondered night and day. What difference does it make? How many people read the Wall Street Journal as far as eternity is con concerned? What difference does it make? How many people read the Wall Street Journey as far as eternity is concerned? The sense of safety in a secure corporate position means nothing to me. I knew the time had come to step outside of my comfortable zone, the same way people whom I loved and admired had done. People like Don and John, John Jonah. And Joanne Gregory, Tom and Betsy Smog, Mary Baker, and Gil and Pat MacArthur, each could have taken the long road. But they were spiritual pioneers, following God's direction and blazing their own path for others to follow. The natural thing for Peggy and me to do would be to stay with the known and secure, but we knew if we ever wanted to see the fulfillment of God's promise, Psalm chapter two a, in our lives we have to be, we had to obey and take the first step. In our lives we had to obey and take the first step. In December 1973, I turned in my letter to resignation and sent a memo to my sales staff. I have uh, attempted to conduct my responsibilities in light of my personal faith in Jesus Christ. For me, the teachings and the principles of the Bible have proven relevant and meaningful in my company life, as well as my personal life. I trust that you have seen these Christian principles attend the discharge of my professional duties. My years at the Wall Street Journey had been a mission field of sorts, but now God was calling me 
out of my Jerusalem to points unknown, to place unseen, to people unreached. As I left the journal for the last time, it was uh, with a deep sense of gratitude for all that the Lord had done. I'd love to say that he immediately opened the door to missions, but there were no big checks or letters of invitation waiting in the mailbox when I returned home that evening. Instead, I began what people often called the wilderness wandering. I knew God was calling me to missions. He had made that very clear, yet for reasons known only to him. He required me to go through a wilderness experience before I could fulfill that call. This wandering went on for four years. In fact, while I waited for God to fulfill his plan, I worked as a vice president for Western Temporary Services. At a car dealership that I owned with my brothers, Warner and Bill, as assistant to the president of Washington Bible College and as marketing director at Gospel Light Publishing Company in South California. California. I knew God placed me in those positions as part of his plan for my life, but it was frustrating to wait while my heart burned for missions and the call toward evangelization. During those years, I often thought of Joseph, Moses, Esther, Paul, and others in the Bible to whom God gave a distinct call, but required them to wait years before fulfilling it. Joseph language, uh, languished, yes. languished in Egyptian jail. Moses wandered in the desert. Esther waited while her people seemed distinct from for destruction. Paul was arrested, jailed, and beaten. God knew what was ahead for them, of course, and he knew what was ahead for me. He knew I would need an even deeper faith in him for the challenges that were around the corner. Wow, I feel like it's so powerful. I was, I was, struck by, couple sentence, um, in this chapter. Well, it talks about, the everything is unity. Uh, unless God, it's God's timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And it's futile. Oh, futile. Yeah, everything is futile and unless it's God's timing. And also like 
For him, he is so clear about God's calling, but he waits years and years and years. Yeah. And he also going through the wilderness,、mm-hmm. wondering, wilderness, wondering. I feel like I was in wild, wilderness, wondering for years as well. Okay. Same. Yeah. Do you see the things clearer? Do you see God's calling when it comes God's calling? Um, I think I am still searching for God's calling. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And、uh, what strikes me, as he say, like. About the things will never over unless you give up.、Mm, yeah, that's very true. It's so true. Never give up for the things we want, we desire, and no close、yeah. to our heart. Never、yes. give up. Anything strike to your heart, or you would like to discuss? I agree with what you said. The things that you mentioned definitely struck me as well.、Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty late tonight, so let's end today's discussion.